0: If you're going to build an infill, the time to build it will naturally be longer than if you were to build an equivalent house in a new neighborhood. Welcome back to the Spruce Home Show, your local podcast that talks all things custom home building things to be aware of, things to expect, and things to take note of. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go. Hey. what's up? What's up guys? Hi, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you listen to this. Hi. Today I want to talk to you about infill building. Um, building a custom home is challenging in itself. There's a lot of steps to the process. You got to uh, design your floor plan. You have to You have to get it priced. You have to go through the through the design and then understand all of the cost implications for everything that you just picked. Uh, then you actually have to go through the permitting and then you actually have to build the house and, and timelines are changing and back orders happening. and yada, 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 yada. And it's all complicated enough on its own. And then when you throw in an infill, it just adds another little wrinkle to the process and just a few more things to think about. And that's really what I wanted to point out today that so that if you're thinking of building an infill that these are some additional things to keep on your radar that you either may not have thought about or you just flat out don't know, uh, which would be 100% understandable if you've never done it before or if you don't know anyone who's done it before. So there's a couple things here that I just wanted to to go through. The first is timelines. So. If you're going to build an infill, the time to build it will naturally be longer than if you were to build an equivalent house in a new neighborhood. And there's a couple reasons for that. The first is that there's physically a house sitting there right now that you have to remove, which means that you need to get a permit to remove it. So now you have the time to submit the permit. And you actually need to get some documents, at least in Saskatoon, you have to get some documents from a few different departments in the city before you can even apply for a permit. So you need some of those documents with the permit application. Um, so you're waiting on departments with with the city in order to get a permit in order to go then demo the house so you can actually start building. So that's just obviously a process that you don't need to do in a newer neighborhood where you're working on on vacant land. So I, I would say for the most part, you're probably looking at, at adding three weeks of, of build time to to your build just to get through that process, to get an approved permit and, and to get the house cleared. The other thing that can add time to the project is, and this is going to be really lot specific, is going to be trees. Are there trees in the way that need to be removed? Um, can that happen before demo does it have to happen after demo if it can happen before demo it actually won't add any time because you can remove trees without a demo permit the demo permit is just for the house and the garage if there is one so if you can get them gone before the house is gone that does not add any time but there are scenarios where you can't Um, let's just say it's maybe you can't or maybe it adds cost let's just say there's a, a tall tree where if the house wasn't there they could just cut it down and just let it fall but if they're going to take it down while the house is standing well now they have to climb the tree and that's going to cost more so most times you'll want to just leave it do it after demo in which case it's going to add a couple days to to the timeline again before you can actually get started building so the first is just Like I said, the first point, understand that when you're building an infill, the time to get started is going to take a little bit longer than if you were to build not an infill. The second thing to think about is site conditions. So if you're going to buy a lot in a new neighborhood that's vacant, you know, for the most part, what the site conditions are. There's nothing on the lot. It's it's blank. The only question mark really is if you're going to hit something when you excavate that that you didn't expect. But with an infill that's the same, you still have that risk. You can still hit sandy soil, you can man, we've we've hit bricks. So that was really random, <laughs> but there's other things as well. And for the most the most common ones in Saskatoon, the most common one is fences. The one thing that I can tell you and I've talked about this a lot lately. Is I don't know, and if somebody can inform me on this would be great. I don't know if back in the day when the core neighborhoods of Saskatoon were built, if there was some citywide program, there had to have been. Uh, where the city came and planted trees. It had to have happened because all of these big old mature elm trees within the Saskatoon core neighborhoods, so Bonavista, Nutana. Um, varsity view, all those big old trees without fail are right on the property line. I mean, right on the property line and oftentimes fences I've seen all sorts of different combinations. I've seen fences on one side of the tree or the other. I've seen fences that go up to a tree stop and then start on the other side of the tree and continue going until the next tree. I've seen fences where they jog around trees I've, I've seen it all. But one thing that I can tell you is it is extremely rare when fences on existing house lots in core neighborhoods are actually on the property lines. It just doesn't really happen. Um, and one of the things to understand is that most times you're not going to know that until the house gets surveyed. Now, you can get the house surveyed early, so you do know that. And then you can prepare for it, but you're not gonna know it before you build before you sorry, before you buy the lot. You're just not. You can you might think, you might like, oh, this how this is a 30-foot lot, and there's 30 feet between these fences from fence to fence. Well, I would put some pretty decent money on it that those fences aren't actually in the right spot. And one of them is probably intruding into your property, and one is probably intruding in your neighbor's property. And what can happen a lot of times is that those fences are going to be in the way of construction. Uh, they can either be in in the way to excavate. If they're intruding into the setback too much, now all of a sudden the excavators don't have room to actually uh, dig the hole and to put the walls up and to safely work around it. So then in the, in that case, the fence has to come down during construction and then a new fence is just going to have to be built. And there's a whole conversation around what, type of fence you should be building if you're going to if you're going to build a fence right away but that's another conversation for another day the other thing that that could happen is you could leave the fence but it could fall into the hole while the hole is open we've that's not super common but we have had that happen one time it was in the summertime and we got a big rainstorm overnight and and it, it just fell in the the soil got soft and it just fell in So again, the fence was on our side of the line. We tried to work around it. At the end of the day, it just it just didn't work. But the other thing that can happen also sometimes you can work around those fences, but now you can't backfill the house with a machine, and you have to do it by hand. So now obviously that's going to be an added cost. So, and the same thing can happen with trees. If you have a tree that's that's in that same scenario that's on the property line that's in the way of construction. Well, how does that get dealt with? If you have trees that maybe it could be in the middle of the backyard. Here's here's a scenario. We had, we had a house where there was a tree in the backyard and we thought that it could stay but it was going to be right and I mean right on the edge of where the excavation had to be so that guys could work in the hole safely which meant that about half of the roots were all gonna get ripped out during excavation. So there was a, it was a maple tree, I think, or an ash tree, Um, but it was older. It was, I'm gonna say 20 feet, 20, 30 feet tall. So it was old, mature, and it would have been really nice to keep. And arguably it could have stayed, but what's the likelihood that it was actually gonna live? If you're ripping out half of a tree's root system, it's probably not going to survive and it's just going to die out. So that tree ended up ended up coming down. And so those others well, just some of the site conditions to think about with infills that you're just not going to get on vacant land that might come up, some of them. Like I said, the, the obvious trees are obvious. It's like, okay, this is a 500 square foot house. that's sitting here and we're putting a 1500 square foot house and the tree is sitting right beside the existing house. It obviously has to go. Those are obvious. It's the non-obvious ones where you think maybe they can stay. Maybe they have to go. Those are the ones to think about and be prepared for. And then the other thing from a site condition standpoint is, is sewer lines. There is a possibility that the existing sewer where you're putting your house, the the new house depth could end up pushing your sewer line deeper than the, the main in the middle of the road that it's connecting to, which means you're pushing sewer uphill, which obviously doesn't work. So if that's the case, you're gonna have to make an adjustment at excavation. You're either gonna have to raise the house out of the ground if your design allows for that. There's some bylaws that may restrict you from that standpoint also, or, or there's some other things that you, you may have to do in order to accommodate. That's a site condition that could add costs strictly because it's an infill. At the end of the day, those sewer line mains were set at a height that was that accommodated housing that was built in the past where they were shallower. They were shallower basements. Maybe they're seven, eight feet instead of today nine feet or deeper. So just remember the sewer lines and the infrastructure that was built a hundred years ago was built to accommodate those houses and we're building differently now than we were back then. So those site conditions can absolutely affect an infill build. The next thing is that if you're building an infill, you already know that you want, you're going to want to maximize space within the house. You're, Likely working on smaller lots. You likely don't have things like attached garages most of the time. Um, So you're going to want to maximize the amount of space inside your house. And there's a few different ways you can do this. But the the biggest thing that I would say is that when you're designing your floor plan, make sure to reduce or eliminate all of the dead space that you possibly can. One of the common areas that I see is... um, is at the bottom of stairs. Depending on how you orientate your stairs, I've seen I've seen a few times where there's just a pretty large chunk of square footage at the bottom of the stairs that is just no man's land, and it's not functional floor space. It's not fl- functional storage space. Um, it doesn't add any living space at all. It's just what I call dead space, and you're you're wasting that valuable. Area and compromising other other areas because of it. Your now your kitchen became smaller. Your living room became smaller. Maybe you had to move your laundry room to the basement because of it. So eliminating that dead space can really help you maximize your bang for your buck w- with an infill. And then there's there's other things like take advantage of cantilevers. Uh, bump out your fireplace so that it's not intruding into your your house. It doesn't really change the square footage, but it sure changes the feel once everything gets moved in and furniture and you have people in the house. So think about those kind of things and how you can be creative around that. And then even things like your cabinets, take your cabinets, please take your cabinets all the way to the ceiling. That's one thing. It's just, I don't fully understand it, to be honest. Sometimes it's a design feature. So Okay, I understand it. But when you're specifically talking about infills and you're already shy on space, adding another 12-inch cabinet that takes those cabinets all the way to the ceiling where you get that extra foot of storage, it's so worth it. It makes complete sense, especially in your kitchens. Um, but but same thing, do it in your mudrooms. Um, if you're going to do built-ins, do it on your built-ins. Utilize that space so that you don't, No different than you don't want to waste dead floor space. You don't want to waste dead ceiling wall space either. So maximize all the space that you can within the home so that it feels more functional, so that there's not as much clutter and and that it's a better place to really live. The next thing to think about is setbacks and how that impacts the design of your house as well. So the one thing about setbacks, and this is not infill specific, but it does seem to impact infill design more than non-infill design. Because if you get too close, if you get within four feet of of a setback, you can no longer have, have windows on that side wall. So how is that gonna change the feel of your house? That means you can't put a bedroom on that side. That means maybe that whole side of the main floor has, no natural light coming into it. And there's ways to compromise for that. Don't, don't, do not get me wrong. You can, we've done this plenty of times where there are no windows on the sidewall. We just compensate and put big windows in the front and the back to bring as much natural light as we can. Um, but it does impact where rooms can go. And lot widths do have a big impact on it. But then you also have to think about it from an exterior standpoint. Let's just say you, if if you want really good access from your front to your fr- from your front to your backyard, larger setbacks are really nice. It's not that you want big setbacks and it's not that you don't want big setbacks. It's just understanding that those setbacks have an implication on multiple different things and you just have to decide what is really important and prioritize that. The other thing to think about is one of the things, I mentioned this in a, in a past episode, is that one of the ways that I would increase uh, the the, f- the feeling of a bigger house without actually increasing square footage is to make more cubic feet in your house. So taller walls, for example, going from an eight foot to a nine foot wall or a nine foot to a 10 foot wall. We actually walked through another home builder's infill a couple weeks ago now. And they did, they actually did 10 foot ceilings on the main floor, which really opened up the main floor and it felt way bigger than it was. It was on a 25 foot lot and it it did not feel that way, but they did eight foot ceilings on the second floor. One of the things I don't know for sure, whether that was budgetary or whether it was actually bylaw driven, but the bylaws in Saskatoon actually restrict the amount of, of, they call it massing the size of the sidewalls because they don't want you driving down this neighborhood and you just see these big blank sidewalls with just siding above all the other houses. So they, they limit that. But what you can do is, is you can, you can do things like that. You do maybe a 10 foot main floor and then maybe you compromise and do an eight foot, second floor to make up for that. So you don't have to reduce the square footage of the entire house just to get that wall size down. Think about those things. And then the, the the last thing that, that impacts setbacks or that setbacks have an impact on is fire rating. So once you get within four feet, once you get inside four feet of of a setback, now that wall has to be rated for 45 minutes. So that has an impact on cost because now you have to you have to make sure that that sidewall assembly meets that rating. So that could have an impact on your exterior, that could have an impact on your drywall work. Um, so just understand those things. If you're planning to use those the types of materials that would accommodate that 45 minutes, then I would say it doesn't really matter anyway. But again, something to just think through. And then the last one that I would say is, literally just the amount of space that an infill lot has to actually build the home there's just less space and I'm not gonna lie it's kind of a headache sometimes but it it is what it is right um, you're you're dealing with a neighborhood that's already built out so you got to work around tight neighbors you got to work around sometimes garages that are staying you got to work around all of those things but be understanding that sometimes that means, That there's going to be compromises on your end also. Sometimes that's going to be a timeline compromise. Maybe the timelines get bumped back a little bit. Because you can only have so many people. And their tools. And their material. On site at one time. There's just physically not enough space. Um, Another compromise that happens all the time. Is that garages don't get built. Until probably after you move in. Or at least or at least later in the process. So it's not completed when you move in. And the reason for that is because that space is so valuable that if that garage gets built, there's a high risk that, that something's going to get damaged. The slab's going to cave in because that, that space is needed either to stage material for access. Sometimes you need access to the house for material to be delivered in that backyard. So if the garage gets built now, what does that look like? So it's, just understand that. I think most people do, but if you're building an infill and it's like a really brand new thought or process to you, then it's just something that maybe you haven't thought about and it's just to be cognizant of. That's all. So I would say if you're thinking about building an infill, those are probably the five main things that are, that are going to impact your build that wouldn't, if you were building somewhere else with just vacant land. So understand those, understand the timelines, that the site conditions could have impacts. uh, Really focus on maximizing the space of your home through design and through the floor plan. And just understand that while you're doing that, the setbacks are gonna have an impact. And then while construction is on, just the physical amount of space could have a couple impacts as well. Again, none of these things are the end of the world. None of these things are um, like deal breakers. It's just, again, the whole idea of this podcast for us is to get more information into your hands so that once you do start the process, once you do start building, once you do start planning, these types of things don't come as shocks and the experience just becomes so much smoother for you. So that's all I got for you today. Hope you guys have a great week. Um, Tune in. Hopefully next week that'll be the plan to do to do another episode. And we will see you then. Appreciate it, guys. Take care.